My name is Kayla Omadayo. And my name is Teresa Corbin. And this is the Islamwich Podcast. You are listening to the Islamwich Podcast, where we discuss all things Muslim, all things American, and everything in between. It is my great honor and privilege today to be talking with my friend, Yvonne Messi, who is the brilliant mind behind My Halal Kitchen. If you haven't heard of My Halal Kitchen, it is an amazing website full of so many resources for those people who want to cook halal food in their kitchens as well. So I just want to say assalamu alaikum and welcome, Yvonne. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. You know, Ramadan is coming up around the corner. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally, you, before we get into My Halal Kitchen. I was born and raised in Ohio, uh, close to Cleveland, but really kind of away from the city in a, in a small town, mm. um, really close to farms, Amish country, sort of an idyllic little all-American town, but with parents who were of ethnic background. My dad was born in Sicily, and my mom is Puerto Rican, although she was born in the States. So I had I had a really interesting childhood growing up with a lot of great food and lots of family. It was a, it was a really nice place to grow up because you had time to explore other things and places. And people probably wouldn't think that about a small town in Ohio, but I think <laughs> it was relaxed enough that, you know, you get in the car, in the car on a Sunday afternoon and drive out to farm stands um, and pick, you know, get fresh fruits or you know, in the fall, there was always the apple picking. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of really idyllic in that way. My parents were really curious about different cultures. And so since I was very young, they were always um, trying to explore new foods and restaurants and interested in going places. And so um, I felt like I had an international experience as a, as a kid. And then when I got a little older, my you know, my palate was really interested in going to a lot of different places to actually, you know, be in those uh, countries or places where I could try different foods. Um, you know, just, uh, they, they taught me to be really open to different cultures. And I think that was sort of mm-hmm. the entryway into food and cooking and writing. It all makes sense now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's just such a rare thing that you hear because, you know, I'm also from a very small town, albeit in Illinois, just a couple mm-hmm. states over from Ohio. And I would say there was not anyone in my town that was interested in different cultures. It was all very like white America, you know, America, we love our bacon. Like that was, mm-hmm. I mean, that was pretty much it. So the fact that you had parents who wanted to introduce you to these different cultures is such a wonderful kind of opportunity to expand your mind at such a young age. So tell us a little bit about how you came to Islam, which I understand is such a hard question to answer in a short couple of minutes. I understand the frustration as well, but give us the kind of Reader's Digest version. So uh, I'll keep it short because it's kind of a longer story, but going on from from the idea of of being open to different cultures, um, I think the one culture that I really never understood was Let's say the culture of Muslims or Islam or the Middle East or that part of the world that was really unexplored for myself and my family. So I would say of all the places I really wanted to go but never did, it was it was the Muslim world. And so when I was in college, I was I studied in Spain. Um, I was a Spanish major, and there's a carnival time. You know, it's, it's kind of like a spring break in Europe, mm-hmm. and I was there during that time, and so we had a long break, and I thought. 
well, wouldn't it be fun to go to Morocco? <laughs> and it's right there. <laughs> it's right there. You know, I had already, I, I could have gone to France or other parts of Spain, but I don't know, something just kind of pulled me there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, called me curious. So I went with the group of, of students that I was with. So it was me with, you know, five or six other kids. Number one, and I was there in Ramadan and didn't oh. realize that at all. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> so it wasn't this huge distraction of food, but... But at night, the place came alive. But during the day, it was really just kind of exploring and seeing, you know, thousand shoes outside of the, mm-hmm. the outside of the, the massages. I had no idea what the masjid was. I had no idea what really, really, really went on, you know, in Muslim people's lives. I was actually a little scared at the mm. time because that's what I was told was, you know, don't go near that area or don't disappear and you know, things will happen to you. So it was kind of a lot of, you know, fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. But I was there, and I was experiencing it. Um, and this Adhan, you know, was going off in the morning, too. And I thought, wow. And I remember saying to my, my friend my, who was, I was staying with in um, the same room, and I said to her, do, do, do you hear that? It's so, so beautiful. Do you know what that is? And she's like, I don't know. I think it's like a prayer thing, you know. So none of us knew anything. Mm-hmm. But I came back. To the state. When I came back to the States after the, the program was over, I, I remember just saying, okay, I see international students all the time. Um, and a lot of them thought I was Middle Eastern because of my looks and being half Italian. I think they, you know, thought maybe I was Middle Eastern. So I said, okay, you know what? No, but it's a great conversation starter. Who are you? <laughs> Where are you from? You know, what are you people all about? Because I would see a neat, I, had, I was in the international uh, studies program as well. So I had a lot of uh, peers that were from like Qatar, Dubai, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. I mean, it was fascinating. So I got to know all of these people a little bit deeper, but at that point I was more open. And what I found was, number one, so many similarities with my own culture, but number two, I was so amazed by how they could balance family with religion, with studies, I just found this really nice balance between Zunya and Akira, and I love mm, that because mm. I was sort of, I grew up Catholic, but I wasn't really practicing, and I was kind of looking, but I wasn't looking to convert to anything. It was like, I wished that I had a connection to God and, like, really understood my place in the world, but I was kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm just interested in cultures, and I think that was the gateway for me. And, and these were people who really answered a lot of my questions about a lot of things. And there was never any, like, proselytizing. It wasn't like, you know, be a Muslim or anything like that. It was yeah. just, they, they really all had very consistent answers about stuff. And they were just fun people. They were so interesting, super fun. I didn't feel like they were overly religious or anything like that that would, you know, kind of deter someone who wasn't religious. It was just sort of like a, hey, we're people too, but... We, we have this priority in life, but, but we know how to have a good time, and they, you know, enjoyed great food. Of course, that was the, the, the clicker, you know. It was like we all got together around really good food, and that's a rarity for college students, I think. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> I recall eating macaroni and cheese most of the time in college. Yeah. I mean, I, was, I had a little apartment, so I would invite people over, and you know, these, these people were bringing makaloba and tapsa, and, you know, I'm like, mm. I'm making all this food. And so it was awesome. But slowly by slowly, I started asking more poignant questions. And I started getting 
you know, they would give me information, booklets on this and things like that. So after five years of that, it took me a really long time. But when I graduated, um, I finished undergrad and then graduate school. I I came back to back home to Cleveland, and I thought, okay, here I am all alone. My friends have gone back to their countries. They left me with a lot to think about, and I I really just opened up the Bible and opened up the Quran and sort of did this comparative study. I mean, I had enough books and resources, and I had finished reading the Quran finally from from start to finish. I grew up mm-hmm. with the Bible, so I, I understood it, but I won't even say I understood it. I would say that I'd read it. But I really said I need to give Christianity a chance. I need to give the, the Bible a chance. But I'm really feeling pulled toward this Quran. It was just, you know, something that was fascinating to me. And I felt that it was very true. But I felt like I couldn't make a life change until I really studied and 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 could answer questions. Because I knew once I made that decision, I was going to be very responsible for you know, mm. well, why did you do that? And what's the reason? Yeah. Because um, the thing I was worried about the most was really wearing the hijab and being Ooh. this sort of like, okay, you know, you're wearing your religion on your sleeve. And that, that wasn't very comforting to me because I'm, I've never been a person who was vocal about anything that I believed in. I kind of just said, you know, whatever you do is up to you. Whatever I do, I'm, you know, private in that sense. And so I was, trying to prepare myself for what happened, which was the case. And I converted in um, August of 2001. And as you know, September 11th, a month later happened. You know, my my friend, um, Teresa Corbin, who is actually the creator and the genius behind Islamwitch.com, she also converted in 2001. And as I recall... I feel like it was actually after 9-11, just a couple of months after, because, you know, mm-hmm. 9-11 brought Muslims into stark reality right there in front of, you know, right. the world to see. So that's such an interesting time to have to have chosen it. So, I mean, yeah. subhanAllah, I love that you touched on the whole um, reality that for you, from the beginning, Islam and food were really tied to each other. Because your mm-hmm. first experience with Muslims and with Islam was through enjoying food together. And I think that that's a reality, that's a universal truth, that people really mm-hmm. come together over food. So tell me about, how did you get the idea for My Halal Kitchen? What was sort of the catalyst for that for you? So I, it's funny because I had always really wanted to um, be a food writer. And I loved photography. Um, as I said, you know, growing up, my parents were really open to all these different cultures and my dad gave me a camera when I was really really young and um, I took this camera everywhere and when I started cooking when I was probably maybe 12 13 years old he would say to me take a picture of that it's so nice it's so pretty look at the table it's pretty yeah take a picture this was all like before Instagram (laughs) before Instagram before food photography was a thing Mm. um and I still have those pictures. It's really funny that I, because I didn't remember that for a long time. But, you know, like any young person, I'm trying to find my way in the world. And I, and I thought, you know, the, the most practical route for all I had done in college was, was to become a teacher, um, which was great. Uh, but there weren't many options in Ohio. I became a Spanish teacher, which I loved. Um, it, was, it was great. Um, but when I got, when I became Muslim, I got married. I came to Chicago. And I saw a really different um, group of Muslims. I mean, I had knew, I'd known um, 
all about halal, like learn about halal. That was that was a no brainer. It seems pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't like this deeper knowledge that I really understood about science and the source of animals' feed and things like that. But when I came to Chicago, I realized that, that people here were much more interested in the the slaughter, the sabiha, what's an animal, not just halal, but it was also sabiha, and why. And so mm-hmm. um, coming here, um, we frequented a place called Chicago Poultry, and they had uh, live animals, live poultry. And so in that place, we were able to go into the to the area where the animals were live and, and, and see the feed and talk to the owner. And he was very transparent about that. And so I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I love this. You know, this is this is so cool. It's almost like being on a farm, but you're in the city. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so from there, I started cooking with the whole animal because that back then, that's before Crescent Foods came along with the beautifully packaged chicken. It was the whole chicken. And then at Thanksgiving time, it was the whole turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had to, I mean, they took the feathers off of it and they took the head and feet off if you wanted. And cooking with the whole animal, you you, you really you get a lot of flavor because you're dealing with the bones and the fat and things like that. So I thought to myself, here I am, you know, my new Muslim, I'm newly married. I love to cook, but this was a, a level of cooking that I hadn't experienced before. Mm-hmm. But I lived in a very Mexican neighborhood. And so I started talking to some of the women there about how they extracted flavor for things like tamales and things like that. And of course, some of them, most of them pork. There was one woman who used to cook for Jewish people in Mexico. And so she told Jewish me all Jewish people in how, Mexico? There are Jews in yes. Mexico? My world is opening yeah. up right now. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. And this, was a, and this was 12 years ago. And for her, that was years before. So she knew all about kosher and she would... She was telling me how to extract flavor from the bird, and and that was what you know they used to to make the tamales kosher. And so I was like, bingo, bingo, uh-huh. yeah, for Mexican food. So when family, the, the crux of the of the issue was my family and uh, a husband's family would say, well, we don't understand what you what you're eating. What you have to eat is you. You have to eat Middle Eastern food now, or are you vegetarian now? Mm. And so I thought, well, I, I loved all those foods. I mean, that's like you said, you know, how I really became interested in Islam. But after about a year of eating that, I was like, look, I love all the food, but I need, I need, you know, my own lasagna, the pasta, the spaghetti, and meatballs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I wanted, you know, my my comfort food. Mm-hmm. And so I, I set out to say, you know what, this flavor is amazing. You really are cooking with the the whole animal. I started really looking deeper at the way chefs cook, like the Julia Child, the Thomas Keller's, the, you know, um, the French cookbooks, the the. Escoffier, you know, the father of French food. I looked at what did they do to extract flavor and make those rich sauces and make those rich stocks because that was what people went wild about for really authentic flavors. And Italian cooking is no different than French and uh, Latin cooking. When it comes to getting great flavor, they're really using the whole animal. They're using the bones, the, the fat. And so, so I thought I, if I could really 
bring the flavors back of my ethnic cultural food, then it would really draw people to the table in my family to say, hey, you know, we may not be able to eat, you know, meatballs made of pork and veal, but I'm going to make a great meatball and sauce, and you're going to love it. It's going to taste, it's going to taste authentic. And mm. um, grandma used to make, or, you know, nonma used to make. And so I started, I started feeling really intense on bringing, you know, traditionally authentic flavors to the table so that everyone would feel like, wow, this is how I remember eating it back in Italy or back in Mexico or whatever. And that's what started to happen. And so I think I, I just really started practicing the art of cooking a lot more with the intention of saying, it's wonderful, it's delicious, but it's also halal. Mm. And I'm not sacrificing my ethnicity to, to eat halal. So then, fast forward a few years, I realized there's a gap between what non-Muslims understand about halal and what Muslims understand about what they can make to be halal. Mm-hmm. So as I was a teacher and working in, in Islamic schools at that point, I noticed that a lot of people had never tried Italian food or Mexican food or Puerto Rican food for sure because they were like, "How? what can we eat? Everything is made with pork or has alcohol in it. And I was like, well, actually, I have, I have a halal version of, you know, chicken parm or meatballs or tamales. And so that started the conversation, but it also gave me the idea that we need a resource for this. I love cooking. I love writing. I want to share these recipes. And so mm-hmm. my whole kitchen was born from that. Man, what a story. When was that? In 2008 is when I started the website. But that was um, after a few years of really presenting some of the food and the ideas to the people that I worked with at school, as well as really kind of seeing how my family reacted to recipes that I was making that were authentic. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'm starting to see a pattern here of uh, gap in information, lots of questions, and then people really liking the recipes. So in 2008, I um, left my, my teaching job and I went full-time on creating the website. So I went from you know, teaching in a classroom to sort of teaching on the global platform. But then, you know, creating a blog um, requires a whole set of you know, different skills and technology and stuff like that. So it, it, was, um, it was an interesting start, but I think right from the beginning, I saw that there was some interest, and so I just kept going. I thought, this, this must be it. <laughs> Yeah, and was it was it you alone when when my Hello Kitchen got started? I mean, officially with the website and everything, was it you alone, or did you have like a partner working with you? No, it was me all by myself at first. Well, it still is in, in many ways, but at the beginning, I didn't have there, there was no partner and there was no one helping out with the technology. Which was looking back, I think, oh wow, harder back half. <laughs> mhm. There's a lot of technology. Back blogs are a little easier to, to conduct now, but back then it was. It was a lot tougher. Yeah, yeah, I, I recall. It's funny because <laughs> we actually met each other. You and I met each other in mm-hmm. the late summer of 2009. So mm-hmm. My Hello Kitchen had already been kind of, you know, a real thing then for a year. And mm-hmm. I remember that you you had the site then, and I remember checking it out, and it was so professional and clean, and it kind of inspired me also to create my own blog, which was nothing at all like the website. It was just a blog, but... Um, so how has My Hello Kitchen kind of grown and expanded over the past six years? Well, um, I would say that it's grown by content, of course. You know, I've had 
lots of wonderful contributors, um, you know, contributing recipes and articles about crafting or Eid, um, parties, you know, party ideas. So I've, I've met some really amazing people who have been generous with the content contribution. So that in itself has helped us reach an audience interested in those things immensely. Um, but I've also had a great opportunity to collaborate with other um, with, with halal companies or companies that are making halal products. So it's evolved from, you know, me, myself, and the kitchen <laughs> and writing recipes into into really introducing um, different product services, different ideas that I maybe, you know, didn't have time to do myself or, or hadn't thought of of doing and you know it's kind of kind of from a blog to a website and then created inspiration for for two cookbooks now and and even a cleaning book that I don't really talk about it was one of the first things I ever did but you know really having a whole hello lifestyle so I started out with just food and then it sort of morphed into how do we live this beautiful whole lifestyle because it is so beautiful and I think I've seen people's perspectives change on eating better, eating real food, eating eating wholesome food, eating organic, making gardens, uh, reviving the sunnah foods, you know, what is traditional, you know, going back into their own cultures and, and figuring out, you know, what's delicious there and, and real food. And so I think, I feel like it's become a movement of sorts. You know, I think in the beginning, you know, it was it was a small group of people who were like minded who who jumped on it, and then now you know I'm a, I look at the numbers and I think this is amazing that as many people care about what they're eating and how they're living, and so I feel happy because that was that was my whole intention was to bring more awareness that halal is a beautiful thing mm-hmm. and that it's more abundant than it is you know it doesn't have so many rules that restrict our lives. It's like we just have to figure out the options. And that's what I tried to present. You know, um, you mentioned about how you've kind of collaborated with some halal food companies and so on. And I've noticed myself a really big boom in the last number of years in like halal restaurants opening and mm-hmm. um, like the, you know, the My Halal, um, the, I think they're called the Halal Guys that have the mm-hmm. food cart um, in New York, for example. And so I've kind of noticed that halal food is sort of expanding, even pouring over into the market, even beyond Muslims. Um, what do you see as kind of the future of, of halal food in America? That's a great question because I've seen it too. I've seen the evolution and it's, it's wonderful. I think um, I can honestly say that when I was in college I, and I, would, I paid attention to the Latin food market um, because I'm half Latina and it mattered to me then and I remember um, I remember it being such a small market but um, listening to people talk about food business and I go to lectures and things like that and about marketing and so on and and they would say you know 20 years from now you're going to see an entirely different Latin market you're going to see Mexican food being popular and Goya brand and things like that and it happened (laughs) that it was something really new to people so once they started trying it and tasting how delicious things were. And, and then the companies that got better and better at marketing those products, the popularity just came, you know, it, it evolved. And I think that's what's happening with Halal because in the very beginning when I started, there were brands out there, but 
they they really just didn't market themselves too well. And then and then we started to see brands come out of the woodwork like Saffron Road and Crescent Beach. And we really understood mm. how to make a great product um, package, you know, reflect the quality of the product inside. And so mm. that attracted not just Muslims, but non-Muslims. And so, and they also really understood how to work with people like myself, like a food blogger who could reach an audience and talk to consumers and say, you know, I cook with this and I use this. I mean, it's an authentic experience of mine. And so they, they really understood that they didn't have to just make a great product, but they had to speak the language of the consumer. Because I would go to all these markets and I think there's some great products hiding in these Mediterranean Middle Eastern markets, but they're not reaching the consumer. Mm-hmm. And so now it's a different story. When I go into these markets, I think they're doing a great job of creating kiosks and giveaways and coupons. And this is what customers wanted. And so I feel like this is just the beginning of halal being under mainstream concept, at least in the sense that it's as well understood and recognized as kosher, if not more, yeah, yeah. because there's more, there are more, there are more Muslims and there, there's just probably more products. I, I don't know. I don't have those numbers, but you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. like in 20 years, everyone's going to say, oh yeah, that's halal. Just like they would say, yeah, that's a kosher product. My goal was always to have halal, halal signs in the grocery store, just like there is kosher. You know, you say kosher aisle, I want to say halal aisle, or or products that are mixed in with other products and, and you know, a sign saying that these are halal. It's something recognizing because Muslim consumers are a viable entity in this country and around the world who, who spend um, and they, they want halal products. Mm-hmm. So I think mainstream is picking that up very, very well. And the halal guys are a great example, like you mentioned. You know, they're not popular just because they're halal. They're popular because their food. That food is good. good. That food is amazing. It is. And the first time I I went to their cart in New York City, when I saw the line four blocks long at 2 o'clock in the morning, I thought, okay, there's another halal cart guy around the corner, and he's got nobody. There's Mm -hmm. some difference here. So. Mm -hmm. They have really good food, and, and when I tried it, I was like, yeah, this is why. And, yeah, and you, know, you you have to think not everyone in that line, maybe not even the majority in that line were even Muslims. Oh, yeah, it didn't seem like it. No, <laughs> so, not at all. And they must, they were, yeah. it didn't faze them. It didn't faze them whether it was halal, kosher, whatever. They just cared that it was delicious, and mm-hmm. they got a lot of food. So, so it was a generous portion and a great product. And so I think if people just, you know, people who make halal products and services just stick to that, which I see happening. I see things just getting better and better all the time. I think, you know, it's an exciting time to to be in the halal market. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, you know, the point about the fact that most of them in the line were not Muslim, it's really Americans are not stupid for the great majority. You know, I, I know that there are those, but generally Americans are not stupid and, and, and they know when they see a good product and, and they know, you know, when when they come across something that's really, truly unique. And I think that for the vast majority of Americans, they don't care if it's kosher, if it's halal, if it's, you know, whatever. If it tastes good, they're going to go for it and they're going to put up that money. So um, do you, in your opinion, do you feel like the halal food market is a kind of dawah effort? Well, 
I think it can be, definitely. I think one of the things that I had to do with the website was to explain what halal is and explain what it's not. So because I realized that there were people who had a lot of fear about halal. And I, I've never, alhamdulillah, I've never had any hate mail in, in the eight years. What? Girl, I'm you are that. so lucky. I have got so much hate mail. <laughs> wow. I Well, maybe it's because I'm trying, I, I really don't present religion outright. Mm-hmm. And because I, I don't feel like I'm in that position to do that. I'm not a scholar. And, um, but when you... When you're mentioning a lot of things, you have to reference Islamic sources or religious sources, right? Mm-hmm. So when it came to halal, I did have one person who who really lashed out at me and said a lot of things about halal. But, but then when I came back and explained it, and I realized I need to go deeper into the to the explanation of halal, he came back and, and apologized and said, you know, hey, I was just having a rough day. Yeah, I get it. You know, I, I, I get what you're saying, and it sounds like it's a very nice thing. I thought, well, that was easy. But mm-hmm. really, it, it wasn't me. It was, the, it was how well, if you explain it for what it is, it speaks for itself. So having that transparency there is so important. And, and it's, in a sense, it does become that one because you're saying, you, know, you don't have to proclaim all of this um, religiousness when you talk about how well or serve a whole well product. But when people go back to see what does that halal mean and what does it not mean because I, I created a, um, a few posts on my site talking about the myths of halal food because mm. I have some people wondering you know is there like is it is it similar to voodoo is it uh, hocus pocus like what do you do you cast magic spells on the meat I mean of course I never <laughs> that thought never crossed my mind but some people they just don't know so once you clear it up and you say, okay, here's the facts and information, and you just keep moving forward and do your thing, then you've given people, you know, you've lifted the veil, so to speak, on what halal is. So in that sense, it is a dialogue because you have to refer back to Islamic sources for what halal means to us. But then, you know, you go and you, you, you pursue your business and you create a good product, and, and it's, it's really great. And you're keeping to the standards of what halal truly, truly is. You're not just saying, yeah, yeah, it's halal because it's chicken, it's not pork, and who cares, like, where the meat comes from and, what, what you know, what kind of conditions the workers are working in. You know, this is not a, an entirely halal process. Okay, I mean, we, we understand that it's looking like the entire process has to be halal for things to be truly 100% halal, which is a beautiful thing. You know, farm yeah. to fork, all of that. Hello and Sayyid, then things speak for themselves. Like, for example, working with Crescent and Saffron I refer to them the most because I, I work with them the longest and I really understand their products best. Their products speak for themselves because their their philosophy is to follow that Hello and Sayyid concept in everything that they do. And so what happens as a result is this great product that speaks for itself that people really like and then they go, Oh wow! You know, I had no idea that halal was just more than just not having pork and alcohol in it. There's mm-hmm. A lot more to be said for that. So, and I think in this sort of hipster culture that's been going on these past couple of years, you're going to find that people who might previously have been more vegetarian are leaning more now toward sort of you know um, free range chicken, for example. Or mm-hmm. what I'm saying is they care about where the animal comes yeah. from. 
And yeah. and I think Absolutely. right now it's really a good time to sort of, you know, put that out there to these people who really are interested in the well-being of the animals that eventually end up on their plates. So Absolutely. That's as, a great point. Yeah, it's um it's it's just a good time in general for the halal market. So as Ramadan is just literally around the corner, I think it's 19 days now. Um, SubhanAllah, I can't believe it came up so quickly, which, I mean, I know it feels like that every year. But are you going to have any exciting things happening at My Hello Kitchen, um, you know, before and during and after Ramadan? For My Hello Kitchen, we we do some pre-Ramadan things. Like I just did a Ramadan workshop for moms and their daughters to talk about uh, Ramadan preps and cooking and how to get organized and create eating health, eating habits that are healthy that, you know, stick with you all throughout the year, not just in Ramadan. And, and really getting back to the prophetic food, the Sunnah food. Um, mm-hmm. Ramadan is a great time to be reminded of that and and what Rasulullah Sallallahu ate and what he re- recommended to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in the summer, we have uh, foods that we should be eating that are very hydrating, like melons, you know, watermelons, uh, water, lots of water, you know. Things that um, were recommended to us were recommended for a reason. And so I think um, just a quick study of the Sunnah foods is a really great thing. And so that, that's a great conversation I've been having with people a lot lately. Is When it comes to Ramadan and preparing, let's not get so overwhelmed by all the preparations. Let's try to keep it simple this year. Mm-hmm. Every year I'm trying to make it simpler and simpler and simpler. And I carry that into the rest of the year. I used to be this person who thought I needed a million different things in the kitchen and then I just I felt like my cooking was getting too complicated and so I kind of scaled back purged what I didn't need and now my kitchen is just so much simpler and my cooking is so much easier so I'm trying to pass that that on to, to everyone else too because um, you know a way of life doesn't need to be more complicated than it already is and you know I like that you pointed out the importance of really trying to eat simple foods in Ramadan because the reality is not only is Ramadan not, you know, it's supposed to be not about food, it's supposed to be about worship but and about abstaining from food as a form of worship, but at the same time, when you do actually break your fast or in the morning when you have your um, suhoor breakfast before, before the fast, um, you know, it should be very light food that's easy on your stomach to digest you know, I, which is just completely opposite what you find in a lot of Muslim cultures where there's fried foods and lots of sugar and lots of oil and, you know, just stuff that's just so, so hard on your poor stomach that's not been working all day. Um, right. You know, so right. I think exactly. it's it's really important. You made a very valid point about keeping the food simple and getting back to prophetic food. And subhanAllah, when you think about how the Prophet Muhammad, because he was you know, pretty poverty stricken most of his life, even having been, you know, the tantamount to a king, basically, at one point in Medina, you know, he sometimes only had, you know, dates, a date, half a date to eat. Can you imagine fasting a whole day and having half a date in some water or half a date in some milk? And that is it. And then getting up the next day and doing uh-huh. it again, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree. And I and I think that the, the thing that happens here with um, American Muslims is that and I and I totally emphasize that we we, we really want to have comfort foods and, and foods that we grew up with. Um, I, I didn't grow up Muslim, so I don't have that iftar experience, you know, in my background. But I have go-to comfort foods, as as many people do for for Ramadan, and a lot of that is fried and stuff. And so, in my first book, for my Ramadan cooking, I I try to 
give ideas for recipes like Moroccan birawak, for example, they're kind of like fried egg rolls. But instead of frying them, baking them. You know, it, it makes it easier on the stomach to have mm-hmm. them baked instead of fried. Mm-hmm. So you can still find ways to have your traditional foods, but just not so oily and, like you said, you know, difficult to digest. And I, and I think we have to, you know, really think about the sunnah. The sunnah of, of, of eating in, in Ramadan is having that suhoor. You know, mm. it's so to have the suhoor and make sure you don't miss it because it, 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 there's no point in fasting all day if you're just miserable, unhappy, you look like you're dying. This is not the <laughs> point. This is not what Allah prescribed for us. Yeah. He doesn't want to make it harder for us. But we make it harder for ourselves when we don't do the right things. And so I always tell people, you know, for suhoor, have some protein. You know, I sometimes eat leftovers from the star just because I need a little meat. Not mm-hmm. everybody can handle meat in the morning, but you know, have some protein. Don't just wake up and have a cup of tea and go back to sleep. You know, I can't imagine. <laughs> no, I can't imagine. Help. You know, because tea also sucks the water right out of your body. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's it's self-defeating in the end, really. And, right. you know, along the line of what we should not be doing in Ramadan, we also don't want to pull, you know, I would say pull an Egyptian because I lived in Egypt for so long and just sleep all day. Because that doesn't, <laughs> that's the purpose of Ramadan is, yeah, to be hungry as you work and go on about your daily life to help you have compassion for the people in this yeah. world who have to do that and not by choice. So yeah. I think that that's, yeah. you know, a really good reminder. So um, that's about all the time that we have for today, but it was just such an honor to talk with you and to hear about this journey of yours, both personally and professionally with My Halal Kitchen and and just, you know, what an awesome contribution it is, you know, to the Muslim community as a whole. And I'm just so excited to see how it's going to grow in the future and, and how it's going to expand, inshallah, throughout the market. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day on this early morning to sit and talk with me about this. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to congratulate you on the podcast because, like you said, we met quite a, quite a long time ago. And it's wonderful to see you doing something that I know you're so passionate about, too. So may Allah put barakah in, in all of our efforts. I mean, I mean, thank you so much for that. And you're so welcome. on behalf of myself and Teresa Corbin from Islamwitch.com, we say salamu alaikum and may Allah give you all the best. Follow us on the upper right hand of the page. Yes, take your eyes up to the right, click there, follow us, email us at islamish at yahoo.com if you have a question or just want to say hey. Like our face with your face on Facebook, facebook.com slash islamish. Tumble with us on Tumblr, come with us on Pinterest, and follow us on Twitter at islamish. Like this podcast, share it, pin it, comment on it, and or do whatever social media magic it is that you prefer. Find out more about us on the understandably named About page and browse other posts and podcasts in the table of contacts.